I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Hey everybody, recording this intro live on the shores of Port Towns in Washington, just outside of Velocity Coffee, beautiful little coffee shop right here on the shores. And in this episode, I interviewed Donny Clutterbuck from Cure. We talked a little bit about what he's been doing recently at Cure, some of the carbonated cocktails, using his uh, Spinzol from Dave Arnold, uh, great little piece of technology, and made some beautiful cocktails with it. Talked about local influences and one of the current cocktails, an apple focus drink. Fantastic stuff. And towards the second half of the episode, we got a little bit personal and talked about Donnie's recent uh, move into sobriety. It was a enlightening conversation and one I'm very happy that Donnie shared with me and with all of you. Um, both times we've been on the podcast, we did get a little personal, but it's uh, it was really, really a pleasant conversation. I'm very happy for him. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please share it out on social media. Uh, you can copy me. I'm at Stromy on Twitter and Instagram, Food About Town on Facebook, and uh, also thanks to Donnie for providing our new intro and outro music for the Food About Town podcast. He sent me some of his songs he recorded a while back, and now it'll be the consistent and new um, soundtrack to the intro and outro of the podcast. So thanks to Donnie for being a great guest and a good friend to the podcast. Thanks for listening. Episode of the Food About Town podcast, and sitting across from me, one of my favorite people in Rochester. Why don't you introduce yourself, sir? My name is Donnie Clutterbuck, and I work at Cure Bar in Rochester, New York. Head barman, if I remember correctly, something like that. <laughs> Caretaker. I don't know if you have a card. Do you have a card? I do have a card. It doesn't have anything to do with Cure, but you if just... it did have something to do with Cure, I would just say Caretaker. I, I end up like Mega Man. Every time someone leaves, I take their job, and I have to develop that skill. So. You're not like Leaf Man, though, or, or Cutter, no, Cutter the, Man? The guy what? with the magnet on his head? I don't know. That only, was always my favorite. I don't know why. I only played a very few amount of those <laughs> games, and I always think, like, if it's the magnet guy, I think it's like it's, it's like Magneto, but that's like that's copyright protected. Yeah, I think it, was, yeah, it probably was that. Maybe that's a bad <laughs> reference, but... I, I feel good about it, It's though. such a tiny restaurant that one job won't really... It, no one title does it. Yeah. For me, anyway, because there are probably six people who do my job at a larger restaurant, but this restaurant is one-sixth the size of most other restaurants, so you know it doesn't really require a full person for each job. How many so seats is Cure anyways? 34, 36. 
something like that. Located at the public market. In the public market, where Java's typically is during your morning shopping routine on Saturdays. If you go there uh, Wednesday through Sunday, post 4.30 p.m., it is a cocktail bar inside of a French restaurant. Yeah, there's not a lot of French restaurant influence here in, in Rochester. It's Cure and Rue and... That's about it. And I a think little that's bit of other, but true that's of it. most U.S. cities. I, I don't know if it's because France was never under any really hard times when our immigration borders were very open back in the day, but no one has French relatives or speaks French or... Yeah, very uh, little. ...grew up in a French household, so it, it's a really uncommon cuisine to find in Rochester. Which is what makes it such an eclectic place, I think, and an eclectic restaurant style to, yeah. to run or own. Because everybody has an Italian uncle. Do you, what, what's your nationality? You know what? I've got, I've got German and Swedish, mm. and then my mom's side's, you know, generic white. You yeah. Know, some sort so, of English. Which basically ends up being Italian these days. <laughs> if, if you're a miscellaneous white <laughs> person, you're probably Italian. Yeah, Ita- Italian really has become the it. default for, like, for a lot of white people. Completely. So, which is weird, because like back in the day, they were garlic eaters. <laughs> It was um, one of my favorite quotes in, <laughs> it was, It's a Wonderful Life. Still one of my favorite movies. I've still never seen it. And oh. At this point, I'm, I'm hesitant because I feel like the, the things that get talked up the most, I have trouble paying attention to because I missed the boat on when they were important to who. Oh, see, you know, you, you know what for me really rings true about that movie? This is great. I'm, I'm really happy we're on this tangent <laughs> already. <laughs> so, what makes, what makes me really happy about that movie is how mean it is. I don't know. So I'm, I'm just I'm just saying. So there, there's a lot of so it's a very there's a lot of schmaltziness. It you know the the end is very not only it's very heartwarming in the end. You know it's a happy movie, and it, you know it makes the room dusty every time I watch it. Is so it one of those like depression era Christmas movies? Oh, where there's like very a lot much of so. Unisuits that people sleep in. I mean, it came it came out in the came out what forty five. Like, the grandparents are living with the parents, and the kids are in the house too. No, right? it wasn't quite that yeah. miserable. <laughs> Uh, but there was, you know, real. There was a lot of depression stuff involved, you know, yeah. slums and, you know, all these kind of things. I'm gonna make it a point this year. To, this this movie keeps jumping into my life more and more as I age. So you it's know what? Time. I, gotta I, watch I, the I would be that. happy to have you over to watch it. Can we watch it on the air? I, I would watch, of course. I <laughs> like would, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh my god, I would love that. <laughs> it, it's it, there's just so many great lines, and like I said, the reason I love it is the mean comedy involved. Like it's it's in it's true and honest in a really fun way. When was it produced? Do you know? Oh, I mean, sixties? Like no, no, no. It was fifties. Uh, it like it uh, came out in nineteen forty-five. Oh wow! So this was Jimmy Stewart right after he got back from the war. Totally different cultural area era than we're yeah. in now. So yeah, the, I mean, cinema was probably a little bit more harsh, a little bit more bleak. Yeah, and it was there was some, some great stuff, but the bad guy, he was disparaging the Italians. And he called them a bunch of garlic eaters. All right. Well, so what did people eat before the Italians came over? What, did, what were we even doing? Was we it didn't all eat, Irish? We didn't like have potatoes, flavor. right? We didn't have flavor before the Italians got here. I mean, I'm not dissing Italian cuisine. Oh, God, no. Me, I'm a me, huge fan. Me saying that it's, uh, it's that fr- French cuisine. Oh, sorry. Was I backing off from the microphone? No, I'm yeah, just adjusting because you're turning your head toward me. Yeah, I know. I'm, and it's good. I, I like that. I like the. I, I like want to not doing look the at eye you. Content. Maybe I should have sat across from you. Whatever. All right. <laughs> I'll just it's I'll almost, do this. It's almost weirder across because then people lean over <laughs> across the microphone. <laughs> if you could see Chris and I, we're sitting at a ninety degree angle from one another right now. So I'm staring straight ahead out a window, and he's kind of looking at me. I'm looking at you. <laughs> it's weird see, if you turn your body slightly, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, we can do this. Yeah. Look. Okay. Cool. Oh yeah. See, that's better. Great. All right. So I wasn't dissing Italian cuisine, but over the course of where I, I didn't really have an opinion on French cuisine until I started working at Cure. 
and I realized that it, what we're serving is uncommon, not because the food is strange, but because it's strange here, because it never had a cultural influence in America, or a strong one anyway. So everybody has an Italian uncle or has been to an Italian friend's house or something. It, it's just so... America is so Italian, or, or so secondhand Italian, or something Absolutely. like that. So pasta and pizza are are even even if they're not Italian food anymore, they came from Italian food. There's almost nothing that came from French food that just sits around in our culture. I mean, we don't we know of the word crepe, but like yeah, very I don't know. very. Little. Where, where do you get one? You know, I mean, what 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 does what does still resonate amongst our you know um, I don't know your higher end cuisines around the country is the French influence on technique. Yeah. Is what people I don't know if they see it, but it's the way they they're affected by French, you know, the French influence around what we eat every day. That's what we're influenced by. Right. Is we're influenced by you know the mother sauces. We're influenced by French cooking techniques. And it's so indirect. Yeah. So people hear French restaurant and they go, eh, like, I don't know. I'm going out with my aunt and my uncle. I should probably take them to an Italian restaurant so that they're happy with the food. <laughs> it, it ends up being one of those restaurants that's really off putting and scary for people to go to. Until they get there and they realize, oh, it's just it's cheese and potatoes and sausages. I know what that is. Yeah. It's fine. Well, in, in cure for being a French restaurant is, you know, not it's not imposingly French. This is not fine dining. There's no snails. French. Yeah, right. Um, not that snails are bad. I, no, they're, they're not del- bad, they're but delightful. they're you know they're they're things that eat your garden. They're not things you eat in in our culture anyway. So mm. it's not that the the words on the menu might look off putting because they're in French. A lot of them. Yeah, but the the concepts behind them are completely normal. There's there's steak, there's sole, there's white fish. There's another kind of white fish. There's there's even Korean fried chicken on the menu now. So yeah, it's it's you know, you know it, it's it has French influence, and then it's it goes wherever it goes, which I think is the best way to do anything is true. to take things where they come in your life. That is the truth. Here and there, I like working at Cure because of that. Because it it is a, a restaurant that you have to find or you have to want to be at. It would never just be a place you found yourself for no reason at all. No, I think that's generally true. Involved in that place. Yeah, I mean, I think I think nowadays, thankfully, and I've mentioned it before on on the podcast, but um, the whole the whole public market area at night has become what I've always hoped it would be, and I'm not sure it's even quite there yet. No, I think it's got a long way to go, and I think it's going to end up being a basically a, a high end strip mall. Yeah, it is at really at some point. I mean, it's getting there, but the, there are a couple of decrepit buildings that are still uninhabitable. Or people wouldn't want to in- inhabit them necessarily, yeah. but I don't know if you look at it ten years ago when I I wasn't even in this city, it was a totally different place. Oh, absolutely, it was, it was purely industrial, and now there are storefronts and quite a few of them operating off market hours. So yeah, I mean, look at look at Railroad Street. I mean, there's now four different places on Railroad Street that are open at night, and it's a zoo every Saturday morning. Yeah, on top of that, yeah, and it's, so it's well, it's a crazy, it's a crazy area now. Yep, I mean, there was the market was always busy, but. I think you know the reputation has gotten even better over the years. I got in a, a cab or a, an Uber from the airport last time. I, I forget where we were coming. I think me and my wife were coming back from Las Vegas, Angeles, Los Angeles. Which, by, by the way, be- before we go on, we're going to yeah. go back to your story. I want to take a very small amount of credit for your marriage. <laughs> but I mean, I can imagine. Aside from from what I'm thinking already, what what is this? So the the, the night the last time Donnie was here, the last time Donnie was here was. What a year and a half ago or so, yeah, something least, like that. Yeah. The night you were here was the first date you went on with your wife. That's right. And I, I think totally we, forgot about. We that. talked about it briefly before you left, and you you were excited, and I I gave you some sort of words of encouragement. <laughs> 
I'm sure they were very, I'm sure it really turned the tide. So I'm going to take some sort of credit for I completely now you forgot being about married. That. Thank, yeah, thank you for the, <laughs> for the marriage, Chris. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done without you. I know, right? You, you're just, just wandering lost. through this life alone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was, that, the last time you, that was the last time you were here, and that was the, your first date. True. So and I, I asked her I to marry me that night. Did, I, yeah, I, I didn't tell you that. <laughs> I, I, no, I, you know what? I think I might have. Yeah, I, I heard something about that. Yeah, but I said, let's go get married in Vegas tomorrow. And she said, I have to work. I was like, all right, me too. So <laughs> Maybe next time tonight. we're out of town together, why don't we do that? We wanted to do it out of town because otherwise you have to invite everyone you know and every family member. And then people get mad because they're not invited. And well, then you're broke afterward or, unless people give you enough gifts. And it just is such a, a headache that we wanted to avoid. And we're, we both live very publicly. So to have one finally private moment for both of us in what is arguably one of the most important decisions a person can make, or one of the heaviest ones. Yeah, I think it's, it's heavy. It's it, was, not, it was good to do it alone, just the two of us. You know, I don't, I don't hate that. I think that's, no. that's a good justification. I think most people that run off aren't justifying it in, in that kind of way. Most of them are running away from something. Right, instead we weren't of, escaping. Yeah. We were just sort of hiding. You know, it, was, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't because we didn't want to share anything with people, but it was because we wanted to not have to at that moment. We had a party when we came back, so anybody who wanted to celebrate could celebrate with us. And it was very nice. It was. It was great. It was exactly what it should have been, I think. But anyway, we we just got back from Los Angeles, <laughs> got in a cab. Just to rewind two minutes there. Yeah. Got in a cab, and uh, he was taking us to Railroad Street, and he goes, oh, Railroad Street, going to a bar, huh? And I was like, nope, that's, that's my apartment. I live on Railroad Street, and I've been living on Railroad Street since before there were bars there. And to see it turn into such a destination is like... I don't know. I think I've I've got a two year limit on living there now because there's too many people there, <laughs> and I I love living in cities and I love people, but I don't like being the destination for people who don't live in the city. I don't like being the place that people go who don't live in the city. Well, it's really convenient for you. One, you're walking distance to work, two hundred yards, and I'm at work, and that's awesome. It's and incredible. Being in and around that space is nice, but. You're right. It has changed so much. It used to be quiet at night. It's exhausting, there. frankly. Yeah. It's exhausting. If I if I wanted to walk out of my apartment on a Saturday afternoon, I am I'm surrounded. I'm in the middle of a mall. Yeah. You know, I'm no longer just in a place where people live and are like behaving as if they are just going about their day. Everyone's sort of there to exercise, get their willies out for the weekend. You know, they're there and they're excited. And I just you don't want to walk out of your house and just into excitement. Imagine if there was a garage sale. Full of like, but everyone in the city went to the garage sale in your front yard every day, every Saturday, and yeah, then and, every and Thursday actually. Oh yeah, that's right. It's, Thursday's it's big not too. quite as crazy that day, but it, it's just it, I'm not like whining about it. It's cool that anybody wants to do anything. I like that. Well, I for but, me, you know, I because I don't live there. Yeah, I just love that people are actually going out and doing things. It's now. cool getting people to go after the '50s, where everybody got scared to go to the city, and they they all moved to the suburbs. And education was only good in the suburbs, so people had to live in the suburbs. And only the people who couldn't, it's sort of like, the city is like the bus. Only people who can't afford cars ride the bus. No one chooses to ride the bus, right? So the city for so long has been a place that people would never choose to live unless they were in dire straits and had no other option. It is not supposed to be that way. The advent of the car promoted that, and everyone was allowed to run away from people they were scared of. But if you live in any part of New York City... But most of them, anyway. It's just everyone living there. You're just you're just with everyone, and everyone is in different financial situations, and no one is like scared of each other. Yeah. And I wish that Rochester were more like that, or that we had a transit system at all. That's a totally different tangent. Well, to go I mean, on. that kind of doesn't make sense to do it. It but. would be fantastic. 
it and would be I, so expensive, and oh yeah, the cost would never be recouped. And it's just I don't know. Would people move here because of that? Who knows? Although I do have to say, I think one of those things that having I just did the whole Europe thing, the whole um, fast train deal. Oh yeah, is it's happening. Was a was just a eye opener. There's one coming to uh, it's the Northeast Corridor, is what it's called. But there is going to be a high speed train. Around it. I don't think it's maglev, but I think it's going to be a high-speed rail. See, I could I could just picture the Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, that. Albany, New York City kind of train. Yeah, sh- I mean, Chicago. How, God, how popular would that be? If that t- if that train ride to Chicago wasn't ten hours, if it was like six or three, if it was a high-speed train, like a really really I, fast I, one, I would I would do that. A all bullet the time. train would be incredible, but I, I don't really know what their plans are. I remember speaking to someone at the the company that's like uh, I don't know building it or, or organizing it or whatever. Mm. But I don't remember the details of it. So something's happening. Yeah. But uh, that, anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited people are going to the city, but it sucks that it's just a minute. Whether like they go to the city, they're like, ooh, it's an adventure. We're going to go get coffee in, in the ghetto. Yeah. And no one lives there and nobody would go there on a Wednesday. Or, you, know, you know what I mean? It's like it's too, it's too much of a tourism thing. And I wish that people just lived here. I, I think that's it's an interesting point. And it's something I always try to tell people is if you're if you're going somewhere, try and have a conversation, not just go in. And if you're going like I, I push a lot of people to go into restaurants in not just in the city where yeah. you're talking about. I'm talking you know the you know the other side of the city. Right. That I mean, people think that the public market is exotic <laughs> in the city and yeah. you know, it's just scratching the surface of the interest that's in and around the rest of town that's not East Ave. Totally. Um, but I think it's part of the whole experience is actually talking to the people you meet and interacting. Yeah, being there. Not just consuming. Yeah. Not to, don't just go somewhere cool to consume something that is probably something you can get in a lot of different places. Which is which is nice because the places deserve to be patronized at the very least. Totally. They're doing a good job. Actually, Boxcar, despite being not that busy on the off days, I, I'm glad it is busy on the on days because I eat there any chance I get. And I live 80 feet away from the place. So it's not out of, in, or of, of convenience that I go there. It truly is fantastic. No, they 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 do same food. with bitter honey. Yeah, they do food well. I mean, Boxcar is doing food well. Um, I think um, Adam Peterson was still doing cocktails last I knew. He was. I think he's taking a back seat, or he like intentionally is stepping back to do something else. I'm not sure exactly that's not, why. That's but, not completely surprising. It's no what he does. Well, it, it's also when you walk into the place, and it, it was designed to look like a coffee shop. So there yeah. is booze there, but it looks like a coffee shop. If it if it was a bar or looked like a bar and served coffee, people would be disappointed because they'd be walking into a bar at noon. Yeah. So I think it's better that it looks the way it does, and it's better for the business that they're doing a bulk of. But I think it's going to be tough to get a nighttime crowd in there with Bitter Honey right next door looking so much like a bar. And Bitter Honey you know? looks... It's, and it's what people want right now, too. Is it, Oh, Jesus. Tequila, right? If we yeah. ever run out of tequila, Bitter Honey's going to have to change the name and the whole concept. Because, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. With boy, the, howdy. The amount of, on it. With the amount of uh, <laughs> agave plants that are being harvested right yeah. now, it's... Kind of, uh, it's staggering how fast. I mean, the demand for tequila and mezcal has gone crazy, huge. And I, well, it's, it's gluten free, and it, that's like the thing. That's the word that everybody's looking to hear. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it so, really, honestly, I, I hate to say that. It's, it's not, awful. It's all. I mean, it's all gluten free, right? Unless well, of it's aged in a barrel that's held together by wheat paste or something, <laughs> which is the case. I mean, that that all is right, true of many things. Let's let's hold on. Let's yeah, let's say let's <laughs> let's let's explain what you're saying because one, I 100 percent agree, but. Justify what you just said. So anything distilled that it 
ideally anyway, I, I can imagine that there might be circumstances where this wouldn't be true. But anything, even if it's made, if it's uh, wheat, just 100% wheat whiskey, you've put a bunch of wheat into a fermentation tank and you turn that into wheat beer, and then you distilled that wheat beer into wheat whiskey, that wheat whiskey no longer has gluten because gluten is a protein. Proteins are heavy and they stay in the, the liquid. So they don't turn into vapor because protein can't turn into vapor. I mean, I, there's a lot of exceptions to this, but none of them would lead to you drinking wheat out of a bottle of wheat whiskey. Yeah, It is made from wheat, but it is not containing wheat. A, a lot of these companies can't say gluten-free on them or don't want to because they don't want to be the gluten-free whiskey. You know, They want to be a whiskey because there's a stigma attached to gluten-free now where it's like a fad diet and you don't want to be the, the brand that attached yourselves to a fad diet. But you can't say gluten-free on the label also if, like, there's, there's a lot of strange regulations. Like, like, you can't eat sandwiches in the building. So there can't be bread consumption near the product or in the facility where the product is created. And especially in the situation where you might be distilling something from wheat, there's a lot of wheat in the building, so it can't be labeled as such. Yeah. Also, paraffin wax is the thing that is, makes barrels air or, or watertight. It's not always the case, but many times things are held together or made watertight by paraffin wax, whereas previously it was wheat paste that was doing this job. Some oh, places I didn't know that. still use wheat paste, and there's a lot of wineries out there or huh. sherry bodegas that'll use wheat paste. But for the most part, it's, it's all paraffin wax. So any residual or tiny amount of wheat that could possibly get into a distillate or wine, I don't have any idea how it would affect everybody's you know, sensitivity or allergy or, or whatever, intolerance, whatever it's called, is different. But largely, it is not gluten that will make you feel bad about a distilled spirit it is the fact that it is alcohol yeah that that would do it <laughs> you drink enough alcohol you will feel bad it's just <laughs> i it's think just that's the truth i think that's a fair statement don't drink beer beer is full of gluten if it's made from things yeah, chock that are gluten, you know that is for sure well not chock unless full. it's I mean, gluten-free or, or brewed to remove gluten or crafted to remove gluten or whatever those things actually are but uh the gluten-free vodka thing is just it's a it's a scam yeah pretty sure of it i've never done any science lab testing on vodka to see if there is any you know, gluten in it, but I, I cannot imagine that it would be physically possible yeah. unless you tried to put gluten in it. That sounds about right. Yeah, just, yeah we, we've made extra glutinous, extra glutinous spirits now. I mean, just, by all means, keep drinking Tito's. We just add gluten to it. Tito's is delicious, and uh, they've done a great job of marketing themselves really well. So don't, like, don't, I'm, don't take, uh, I don't hate things that don't have gluten <laughs> in them because I can't eat gluten myself. Yeah. But I can drink whiskey. So if I can't eat bread, but I can drink whiskey, you know, there, there it is. There it is. <laughs> and That's there you that. have it. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's let's talk about the let's talk about the menu at Cure right now. Um, one because you've been pushing a lot of creative things there recently. Yeah. And what you're doing a lot of you know a lot of things a lot of places in the city aren't doing, and you're kind of you're hitting a lot of. I don't know. I don't want on trend things, but things that I'm really excited about. Specifically, things that are not on trend, and not because they're Especially not on here. trend. It, we're just sort of like not paying attention to trends because trends are. Uh, I don't know. By the time you know about them, it's too late or something. Yeah. So all we're trying to do is fix problems and follow our own sets of goals. The most recent drink we put on the menu is a carbonated drink that is an apple spirit, an unaged apple brandy, with clarified apple juice. And uh, you know, Fino Sherry, Strega, Cocchi Americano. So a fortified wine, a liqueur, and another fortified oxidized wine with booze and juice. 
Well, that sounds fantastic. Diluted, that, salted, and carbonated. Is that the newest one? Yeah. Did I just miss that one when mm-hmm. I came in recently? Yeah, it's called. It, it just came on the menu about three days ago. Nice. And it's like if if apple juice were champagne. That oh, that that sounds fantastic. It's meant to be rich but dry, and sort of tie itself together. Yeah, you got to try it. Please do. It's called Angles Without Edges, and that is a Chuck. That's a very Serenkoskian name. My boss's name is Chuck Serenkoski, and he is the final say on all the drink names. I would I, never choose something so wordy, but I think it fits the the look that Chuck goes for, and I like that. I tried to name it the forty fifty, because forty and fifty are both angles that are complementary and form a right angle. And I, I was just trying to play on the whole like apple brandy and apple juice thing. Like yeah. the, the the theme of the cocktail is that a quarter of it is apple based, and some of it is apple brandy, and some of it is apple juice, and together they form a right angle, and you know they're complementary, and you know math joke. But it was just it was like too stark, I think, for Chuck. And angles without edges, unfortunately, looks a lot like angels without edges. Oh, God. and I don't think a single person has pronounced it correctly. They've all really? said, "Yeah." So, uh. so the whole conversation about the drink ends up ignoring <laughs> the fact that the drink is the drink and just being like, "Oh my God, I thought it said angels!" Wow. <laughs> and that's it. That's the whole. So the drink has been reduced to just you know the the misspelling of the not even misspelling the mispronunciation of the word. It it, it came down to a pun you weren't trying to make. Right. So. <laughs> I guess any attention is good attention, but yeah. so far most of my conversations about the drink have been f- shadowed, overshadowed by just it's the way that it looks like the word angels. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, kind of a bummer. So, well, let, let's talk about carbonated cocktails for mm-hmm. a moment because one, one that sounds fantastic. It sounds like my kind of drink. It's got a lot of interesting flavors going on. It's really cool. And the kind of drink where carbonation is going to be beneficial to bring the aromatics really up to your up to your palate. Yeah, it's it's funny but what carbonation does to the nose of a drink is it seems to well, carbonation or chilling, one yeah. or the other. They both do strange things to the nose of a drink. Carbonation in this case brings a lot of the anise out. So when you smell the drink you get violet and anise and the weird part is only one quarter of an ounce of this six and a half ounce drink is Strega. And Strega has a background flavor of violet. And it's an anisette, so it's like, you know, Sambuca minus the, you know, oh, God, that's gross. Like It's, <laughs> it's like if Sambuca had a brother, like a younger brother who was cool. Yeah. And not a, a, a old greasy man. <laughs> it would be Strega. So it, anise and violet are not like, wow, I, you sip it and you think anise and violet. You sip it and you're like, that's integrated, and it, it probably has anise and violet in it. But on the nose, you almost only get those things because whatever carbon dioxide is leaving the drink grabs onto those specifically. Interesting. It is. is. That, it's weird. Because that's a, I mean, really, you created a fall drink that wasn't cloying and it wasn't right. clovey or anything no, like that. It doesn't have any of the traditional fall drink flavors. And really, it wasn't meant to, we don't do seasonal drinks at Cure. I, but it's not that we don't do them. It's just that it's not a common, we don't change our menu every 90 days. So. We're not reintroducing things just to change with the season. We try to, our menu is based on natural selection only. Yeah. Where if a drink is underordered or underfinished, you know, if it comes back half full a lot, that's a sign that that drink has to go off the menu and we should shoot for a better thing to hold that place. Yeah. So with the menu that has eight drinks on it, we basically have a drink for every kind of person who would come in. There will be a seat for your butt on that menu. And yeah. not every seat will be for your butt, but one of them will be. And I think with the last one, it was a really fun drink, but it just it missed the mark. It was, a, it was a little bit too like, I don't know, perceived sweetness was too high. There was no Which sugar one, in the, the drink. The it was tea or the, the half other bank. one? It was was that the tea one or the other one? Brandy. Uh, oh, the other one. Yeah. Okay. It was the orange carbonated drink. And it was just, I, I don't know, it, 
it, it it struck everybody differently, and I, it was my favorite drink. And a lot of people who got it would get seven of them in a row. Yeah, and everybody else would finish half of it. You know, so it might have just been a little bit too off the beaten path. These, this apple thing was brought up because we were we were looking at our cocktail menu and thinking there's a whole lot of citrus fruit on this cocktail menu. And it's funny, I've never been near a citrus fruit tree. I've yeah. never seen one in, in New York or Rochester. I, I'm sure they exist somewhere. But we grow very little citrus right. here in the um, and in upstate New York. Every cocktail program is based only on citrus, for the most yeah. part, citrus or whatever booze theme they're, they're working towards. So we thought we would have one drink that almost solely is uh, not citrus-based, but there is a... <laughs> There's three-eighths of an ounce of lemon juice in every drink, so you know, <laughs> one of these days we'll completely eliminate it. But Chuck and I were joking about how to, if we could just make an apple-based cocktail menu by using acid powders to adjust the, the, the citrus or the, um, the acid levels of everything. It could be very cool. Yeah, it could be really cool, but then it's, it's like a concept menu, and it's off-putting to some people, and some people don't get it, and it's not funny to everybody. So for the sake of not being a total inside joke and excluding those who are not so deep in the cocktail industry. Uh, we're just going to keep it slow and simple, and when things make sense, we'll do them, and here's one drink that's mostly made of fruit that we can grow here. You See, can't walk 10 feet without hitting an apple in no. the public market, and that's where we are. So Absolutely. It makes sense. Well, I, th- I think especially, I mean, even though it's not seasonal, but right now, I mean, the fact you have tons of apples. Like, all of They're these everywhere. things are available to us. Why You should be using them, especially if you can use... You know, apples that are, you know, good apples totally. and do other things. And the overabundance of Macintosh, red Macintosh apples in the public market is uh, a good reason for us to use some for this purpose. Yeah, and I think a good juice, too, because yeah. there's, you know, some of the juices wouldn't quite work. This one is acidic enough, uh, and it surprised me, actually. We did a tasting of a bunch of different types of apples, and this, I'm, we only tried two at work, but I tried a bunch at home on my own, yeah. just to see if there was any justice in trying to replace apples with, or citrus with apples. Because they don't quite have the same, they have a different sugar level, a different acid level, and they would they would require the creation of a new style of drink, because it wouldn't balance out like in a whiskey sour or a blinker or anything. The juice just it's not directly replaceable with any citrus fruit. So we found one that was just cloying enough that in its volume, at its sweetness level, and its flavor profile, it would work in this sort of new formula that we've created for carbonated drinks, which ends up being. One ounce of spirit, one ounce of fortified wine, or a mixture of fortified wines and liqueurs or something. So so like a base spirit that is a smaller amount of base spirit than normal, a modifier set that is larger than normal, a bunch of juices, some water, some salt, and uh, it's all pre-batched and carbonated. And there's no other way to do that, really. You can't do it on the fly. You can't just have... Like, you couldn't come in and be like, hey, man, can I have a carbonated Negroni? I'd be like, sure, in an hour. <laughs> that's that's how long it would take, even to make something that had very little prep involved. Yeah. So we have to run the apple juice through a centrifuge and treat it with clarification enzymes enzymes before it goes in there. So even that is like there's like three hours before the drink is even a drink in a batch, and then there's another set time to cool it to an acceptable level, and another set time to carbonate it properly. So it's such an insane amount of prep, but it makes for a fast pour. So when you come in on a Wednesday night and you're like, hey man, I'll have one of every drink on the menu, you can have that in under 10 minutes instead of an hour because we don't have to make it all right there. Yeah. It's and, really cool. And, yeah, also it's it's great to get a carbonated cocktail that has notable carbonation. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's very – and it's, it's, not, it's not hiding. It's definitely carbonated. And I think 
for one, I love the creativity. And after the break, we're going to talk about the centrifuge for a couple minutes, just because yeah, sure. I I love that you're using it, and I'm me too. I super nerd out every time I see something with I don't know what you know, we did without stuff. it. It's great. Yeah. Um. So I think what we're gonna do we're gonna take our break, and we'll be back with more with my good buddy Danny Clutterbuck from Cure Restaurant over at the Public Market. All right. All right. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a second during this quick break to thank everyone for voting for Food About Town for Best Podcast in the 2018 Best Of poll in the City Newspaper. Thanks to your support, we won again for the third year in a row. That really is a great honor and a testament to the dedicated people who have given me feedback, have come over to get interviewed, and just been around and really engaged me as part of the food and drink community here in Rochester. I can't thank everybody enough. And it's it's been a great journey. I'm excited to keep on going and trying new things. So I hope everybody sticks with me. And on that note, just wanted to get back to Donnie Clutterbuck from Cure on this week's episode. Thanks again. And we're back with one of the brightest boys in Rochester. <laughs> Mr. Donnie Clutterbuck. You weren't ready for that one? <laughs> I think I just like the alliteration of it. It feels yeah. nice, doesn't it? Like a like a band name or a bumper sticker or something. Bright Boys. The Bright Boys. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll take it. So before the break, we were talking about your carbonated cocktails. And part of part of making those carbonated cocktails is using your one of your coolest tools. The countertop centrifuge. Rhyming and alliteration. You're on it today, man. Yeah, I feel it. Cool tools. Feeling good. (laughs) Yeah, it's centrifuge. For those of you who don't know what the word centrifuge means, it's something that spins very, sort of like the, uh, what was it called, the tilt-a-whirl at an amusement park. When you get on this big circle, you stand up against the wall, and it starts spinning so fast that you can't remove yourself from the wall. And then eventually it turns upside down or something so that you're, you're stuck to the wall, and you're like, oh, my God, how am I still on this thing? It's crazy. So we just have a little tiny version of that, and instead of people in it, we put juices in it. And when it spins, the juices are held really hard up against the wall, so hard that uh, the solids are removed from the liquid. So we're creating somewhere between one and 4,000 times the force of gravity-ish, somewhere, somewhere in there, depending on the centrifuge. And the, the pulp in... You know how when you, you hold up a thing of lemon juice, you can't see through it because Absolutely. it's opaque or translucent? You can hold a thing of clarified lemon juice up to the light and see directly through. You can read print behind it, in fact, because it just looks like like yellow water, which sounds worse than it is. It doesn't look like that kind of yellow water. It's not the right hue. No, it means you're really well hydrated, so maybe. A centrifuge doesn't make things colorless, necessarily. It makes them free of solids, or as close to free of solids as we can get it. And in order to do this without enzyme treatment, we would have to have a centrifuge that operated at like I don't know forty thousand times the force of gravity. Right, so the one the to, one that you have. One we we talked about it a little bit last time. I went back and listened to our last episode before we yeah. started. We talked about it last time. It was in development at the time. Yeah, that's right. So we didn't even have it at Cure at that point. No, we it was did, before that. We bought it while it was in development. You had to prepay for this thing before it came out. This is the Spinzol. Spinzol. Dave Arnold's Spinzol centrifuge, and that's. S-P-I-N-Z-A-L-L. I'm not making any money off the sales, so I'm not advertising it for that. I'm just saying that... Uh, it's just, you, a, it's just a, a cool-ass product. It's even home accessible. So centrifuges of any worth to the, the, the person in the kitchen or behind the bar are 
$10,000. And if you can get one for less, it might have a cracked rotor. And if it has a cracked rotor, good luck fixing it. And Jesus, please don't run it. Oh, God. Because these things operate at speeds that are sort of unfathomable. So to have one that is accessible at $800 is like, I mean, it's still a good chunk of change, but you could have one at your kitchen at home. And, you know, if you're one of those people who spends a lot of money on sous vide equipment or or cooking or, you know, like, I don't know, even a grill. How much does a grill cost? You can spend five grand on a grill. Oh, God, yeah. Get a centrifuge for 800 bucks and do something weird. So we have one of these things, and it's, it looks like a little teeny tiny food processor with a washing machine rotor inside of it. And we uh, it's self-balancing. You don't really have to do anything but put the liquid in it and hope for the best. So you turn it on, and as long as that liquid is pre-separated by a bunch of enzymes, you've got something after 15 or 20 minutes that you can see through. And just seeing through it means that you can do one of two things with it. You can either stir the drink instead of having to shake it, because you know if it has juice like a daiquiri or a whiskey sour, you have to shake it in order to emulsify or whatever the word is for it, uh, get everything evenly spread throughout the drink. Um, if you don't want to stir it, you can carbonate it. Because if you try to carbonate something that has solids in it, it creates nuclear. Well, the, the solids act as nucleation sites for the CO two, and the CO two jumps off in much larger quantities. So if you try to just carbonate grapefruit juice or something, and you you carbonated it in your soda stream at home, and then you tried to unscrew the canister from the thing so you could drink <laughs> it, it would shoot grapefruit juice all over the place because every bit of carbon dioxide would be like, I'm not staying in here. So what's solids? Yeah. So nucleation points. So. Really, a great example is if you've ever poured a glass of champagne into a into a glass that was made for champagne. There's specifically they make little little nubs or little spaces on the glass at the bottom, and that's where you see that stream of bubbles coming up through your glass. That's on purpose. It's they've basically created these nucleation points, really meaning just it's where the carbon dioxide will lock on. It'll create the bubbles. Right, and. In you know champagne glasses or other glasses like that, they create these nucleation points, so you get this stream of bubbles coming up through your glass. Not that I like champagne flutes. I, I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. I don't think they're a good glass. If something... Well, we could talk about that, and that's a totally separate podcast. Um, <laughs> if something looks like it's carbonated, it's because it is becoming uncarbonated. And if something looks still and is carbonated, that means it's not losing any CO2. Well, that's that's a great point, because... We all you see the bubbles and you think this has the most carbonation, and it's actively getting less carbonated yeah. as you're watching it. There, do you have you ever seen the show Schitt's Creek? No, with Eugene I, Levy. I think you were telling me about it, but it I haven't is, seen it. If you're a fan of things like A Mighty Wind or um, oh, what's the other the sister movie to that? Oh, uh, Best in Show. Oh, Best in Show. What a great movie! Great movie. So it's, just think the same concept, and it's the same bunch of people. But there, there's a scene where they're in a diner and they're celebrating a, a an anniversary in a in a place where they don't want to be really a crappy little city and with a crappy little diner and they get a crappy little glass, glass of sparkling wine and the waitress comes over and goes and a raisin to release the carbonation and they go oh, please don't and the, she <laughs> drops the raisin into the glass there you go oh. and so they're drinking sparkling wine with a raisin in it and they're like because anybody an onlooker who doesn't know what's going on might look at the raisin in the glass and think it's carbonating the wine Yeah, but it's not it's making it not carbonated so if you're seeing it it's because it's becoming uncarbonated if you're not seeing it and it tastes carbonated, that means it's staying carbonated. People do like a visual more than anything else, though, Donnie. We eat with our eyeballs. It's totally it's, it's true. I'm guilty of under-garnishing um, things. I'm not a garnish guy. My my wife owns a salon, and it, you should have seen our, our apartment when I lived in it before I met her. It was like <laughs> a grid. It was an ugly grid with... <laughs> The big very effective, though. Yeah, it was effective. It was really efficient, and it was an efficient use of space. 
But my wife, who is a hair salon owner and colorist and cutter and all that stuff, she operates with an eyeball. And I operate with a calculator. Yeah. So I'm not good at that. I'm I'm trying. Chuck always makes fun of me for not garnishing anything. And I try desperately to, to look like I'm not completely <laughs> at the end of the spectrum instead of just, you know, a little bit on it. But uh, I, I have trouble with that stuff, man. I, I don't know about the visual thing. I, so the champagne flute, you don't like it. No. Because you don't get a good nose out of it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, that makes perfect sense. Admittedly, I am prob- I'm colored by... It's just like anything else, you know. I'm I'm colored by the people I follow. Mm-hmm. I'm colored by the people I listen to. Yep. That, you know, wine professionals. This is they tell me this. Yep. So wine professionals totally. tell me this, and then also you try to drink out of a champagne flute, and it's never a pleasurable experience. <laughs> I love champagne flutes. I love I drinking anything out of them. I don't like it. Yeah, I, I know. I get it. They're pretty. Yep. But. I, I've never enjoyed drinking out of them because every time you drink out of them, you hit your nose on the glass. <laughs> now, maybe, maybe I have a different shaped nose. Well, I, you know, I do sure, have. I'm pretty I have sure a, you do. I have a little tiny nose. So See, it's I, never I have a, a, for me. A, a prodigious proboscis. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if you uh, bump into something, the first thing that hits is your nose. Oh yeah, gotcha. Yeah, my, I don't know what mine is, but it's not my nose. <laughs> Ask my wife. <laughs> Jokes. Oh, Just kidding. God. I don't have anything to say about that. Um, you can take that part out, right? No, God, no. Right. <laughs> the um. So I'm really excited. So of the things you're doing with with the uh, centrifuge, I mean, clarifying juices, one also, does it help to extend their life as well? Not really. No? Uh, if anything, minorly, yes, because the the life of a juice is, you have something between like, I don't know, 24 and 36 hours or 24 and 72 hours, depending on how you treat the juice. If you clarify, you take the solids out. If you take the solids out, there are less places for oxygen to hide. So if you have less oxygen, there is slower oxidation, meaning that markedly, some, somewhere, some, some tiny piece of it would be less bad after a certain amount of time. But I don't think it's a method for doing that. It's more effective at making sure you don't have to shake it or that you can carbonate it. Yeah. Because you wouldn't want to shake a daiquiri with clarified lime anyway. So let's just say, for for example, you clarify your lime juice to make it last a little bit longer. Whatever time you're getting extra out of it is probably taken away by the amount of time it takes to spin and treat this stuff anyway. Fair enough. So if you're getting two more hours out of it, it takes you almost two hours just to make the clarified lime anyway. Second, if you try to shake a daiquiri with clarified lime juice, there's no solid, so there's no texture. So the, the texture of the drink is totally different. The A clarified daiquiri next to a regular daiquiri are they're two completely different adventures. They have yeah. to be balanced and built differently and treated separately. Because if you just do the same thing with each of them, one feels thin and non-present. And the one with the chunky lime juice in it, <laughs> chunky's not a good word for that. No, but I think you're absolutely you know, right. Well, it's it's p- sandpapery. Well, it's, I think part of the deal what you're what you're talking about is consciously using these tools to make a better experience for the guests. To fix a problem. Even if they don't have to worry about it, they don't have to worry about the fact that you spun this juice. If the drink is good because I had to tell you what I did to make it good, that's not a good drink. If you like the drink and you want to drink 100 of them, and then you ask me why it's so great, and I tell you, and then that's cool, great. But it's not like, I don't know, we don't use it necessarily as a sales tool, and we don't want you to come in because we use a centrifuge but we want you to come in because we have drinks that are better than they otherwise would be. And you don't have to know why. It doesn't, you know, unless you want to. Of course, I'm happy to talk about it because here I am talking about it. Well, of course. But, I mean, I'm the, the fact that we're, we can nerd out about this stuff is not 
doesn't mean that everybody needs to. No, no, they, no, no. They should benefit from your nerdery and God, benefit no. from your knowledge. Right. If if any of the stuff that we do ends up being accessible on a mass scale and everyone can do it without a centrifuge, then by all means, you can pay as much attention to anything as you want. But the fact that we do that doesn't mean every bar should. There still need to be dives, and there still need to be classic bars that don't, you know, do any like in inventing or whatever. I, I don't even know that we're doing that necessarily. We're making drinks of a style that most people don't make drinks. Yeah, but Dave Arnold. I mean, I worked at Booker and Dax for Dave Arnold, so he and the crew at that bar taught me how to do that. So they put those ideas in my head, and I'm just working under a different set of rules than everybody else is. But they're not rules I made up. The rules that I'm just, you know, digesting. Yeah, you're you're learning. You're trying to do things better, and that's yeah. that's. I think that's always a, always a great position to be in. Is try if you're learning something, you're giving something back at the same time. Yeah, and if people people want to learn, or if people want to just enjoy, well, then you've done something with the knowledge you have, even if you're just giving it to somebody else. True. That somebody else gets to understand something better. I think that's that's worthwhile. I think that's one of the reasons I love doing this kind of thing is to try if if I've accumulated all this stupid knowledge Same. in my head, yeah, is to try and try and get somebody else to be excited about something. You know, I I think about all the all the bartenders who are like working behind a bar and someone orders a Manhattan and then they tell them the the ninety year history of the Manhattan or the two hundred you know whenever the Manhattan was made and who made it and like some story about a. Famous bartender in New York City in the twenties, or right, something. some some I don't know. almost definitely apocryphal story. Yeah, I, I almost I don't really care about that stuff, and I certainly don't care about that stuff if whoever's listening to the story didn't ask or isn't somehow like really involved in it. But if uh, I've started working in in cocktail bars in like twenty, let's say twenty thirteen, so I, I was in dives for a decade before that. But my first cocktail bar job was at the Revelry in Rochester. At yeah, I think it was in twenty thirteen, and I didn't know what Campari was until that job. Which blows my mind that I that I didn't know what any of that was, but it, but I remember not knowing what any of those things were. So if you go into Cure somehow, if you're a person who listens to this podcast and you end up at Cure and you go in and look at the back bar, I would like for you to keep in mind or or take note of how many spirits you find familiar on the back bar, and what level you've you've dove in in order to get that knowledge. Yeah. So me not knowing what Campari was or anything on the back bar at the Revelry for you know five years ago. And going to this point where now I have a personal story or purpose or tool or, or use for each of the spirits individually on the back bar. If I find you staring at it and looking around, either looking lost or or looking like you just want to know everything about every single one of those things, I'll try to feel out what your interest level is. If you just want to know where the Tito's is, and why it's not Tito's, I'll tell you that. And I'll tell you why what we have is just as good or will work for you. And if it won't, I'll try to make you happy in whatever way we possibly can. Yeah. Because we can't be everything to everyone. We have to be like, you know, everything to someone. But if you want to know the history of or or maybe reason that we carry only 10 bourbons, I'd love to talk about that. And I'd love to tell you why each one of them is functionally different. If you want to hear none of that and you just want to drink a drink and sit on your phone, do it. I don't care. Yeah. I'm just, the bar is there to make you happy. And if the bar is there to make the bartender happy, that's the wrong bar. That's where I, why am I on this tangent? What did we start talking know. about? Even? I don't know. It doesn't, does it really matter no, why I, we started? No, I not. That's the point of this. I, I think what you, what makes you good at what you do in this capacity, Chris, is you're good at like just placing 
a sentence in the middle of the table and letting people volley it back and forth. Well, that's the goal. But I mean, in this case, it's me and everybody else who lives in my head. <laughs> and I don't know which one is talking right now. It's okay. I don't know which one. We it's okay. As long as we get to the end position, that means they're all in harmony. Cool. Man. Great. So I don't know. Let's talk about you for a little bit. Sure. So I've known you now for going on, I don't know. I, I met you when you were at the Revelry, yeah. but we started to get to know each other when you were at, Good luck, and then at Cure for a while now. Yeah. And we become more friendly over the years. And totally. Although we don't get to spend as much personal time as maybe I, as, I don't know if I would prefer, and I think hopefully we would prefer. Definitely, yeah. I mean, the um, fact that I'm sitting here right now. Yeah, exactly. We were at least trying to do this. And you know, you know what? Every we, we talk some personal stuff sometimes, and I sometimes I learn things about you that I, I just <laughs> always want to ask about. Yeah, sure. And one thing that, you know, I'd heard recently, I think we talked about it briefly and talked a little before the episode was you recently had stopped drinking and went through that process. What yeah. What was what was the impetus for that? And what, what drove you not drove you, because that, that's that's a loaded question. I shouldn't right. I shouldn't word it that way. Other, I mean, was it drive? You know, it was it was like that. It wasn't a it's not like I, I didn't get a DWI, I didn't get in trouble with the law, I didn't get in such a, a crazy physical altercation with a, you know, like a guest or my wife or nothing nothing horrible. There was not a trigger moment. But since I was young enough to want to be in the bar industry, I have been self medicating and trying to hide from daylight. Right. It's just been the way that I've I, I've had the neon light disease, as Robert Downey Jr. puts it in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I as soon as the neon lights come on, I wake up. That's when I want to be alive. That's when I really, when I can process the world that it's at, at the best that I possibly can. And I didn't know why that was for a while, but over the years, I learned that I have right temporal lobe damage, probably from a brain injury when I was a kid, and that has led me to have difficulty with visual and audio processing. So. Imagine you have no focal point for sound and too much visual stimuli is difficult for you. The public market during the day is probably the worst place you could possibly be because it's full of people, full of conversations, and there's a 360-degree overly saturated view, and uh, it, it hurts, honestly, to walk out into that. It's the highest amount of bustle in Rochester, right. and that's, that's a lot. And for, for me to acknowledge that it's not social anxiety, it's, it's an inability to process one thing at a time, so it's just an overwhelming amount of information for me. Imagine how you, how would you dull that, right? You might drink a little bit, you might smoke a little bit sure. of cigarettes or do a lot of both, and you would probably want to work in the dark where no one could possibly be behind you. So think about where that is. There's <laughs> yeah. only one job that does that. No, it's absolutely. behind a bar. You have booze behind you. The booze doesn't move. It doesn't need you to adapt to anything, and all the sound is coming from the front. And if you don't have a filter for sound, you don't have a focal point, you hear everything. So you yeah. hear every conversation. Every person who's about to order a drink or is in the process of doing so with one of your cohorts, but they need help, and you are able to assess and finish finish troubleshooting every situation before it's even brought to your attention, it's a superpower. So that's how I ended up behind the bar at dive bars. And dive bar jobs start at 9 p.m. and they end at 6 a.m. or something like that. So you're able to drink and smoke through those hours without really having it be an issue. When you transfer over to the cocktail world, the hours change because fine dining is usually involved in that. And fine dining does not start at 9 p.m. Fine dining starts at 3 or 4 p.m., even if service doesn't begin until 5 or 6. So you get in the building at 3, and you don't leave again until 3 a.m. sometimes. So these shifts are like, they begin well before sunset, and they end when sun is <laughs> coming back up sometimes. Yeah. 
So my ability to deal with daylight, it faded after a while. I was using, probably using alcohol without really realizing I was doing it in order to cope with a, a level of discomfort that I didn't know was uncommon. You know, that I didn't know that everybody didn't go through that. So I was probably drinking for longer hours than I should have. And uh, I quit smoking, so I no longer had that thing to lean back on. So I just, I wanted to step back and take a look at what I was drinking for and how I could otherwise get through life. So many years ago, I not many, you know, there's a couple of years ago, I got a bunch of brain scans and I tried to figure out what was wrong with my brain or, or be able to visualize the issues that I was having and be able to, to figure out what situations in my life were making me uncomfortable and why they were making me uncomfortable. Because you really can't solve a problem unless you know what the problem is, right? You can put a Band-Aid on a wound, but if you don't know what caused the cut, you can't avoid the cut. So I tried to figure out how to avoid the cut, and it ended up happening. But the, the booze, I was comfortable in my daily life, but the, the booze was just still there. It was just kind of a part of my compulsion every day. It, I would show up at work. I'm the person who serves you booze, so I'd say, here's a little bit of this booze, and I'll say, I'm, I'm going to take a little for myself because I, I need to remember what this tastes like. Yeah. And in order for me to truly sympathize with anyone sitting on the other side of the bar, I have to do what they do, which is true to some degree. But after a while, I mean, I know what it's like to sit down and drink a drink. Well, who am I fooling? You know, I don't need to do a shot of chartreuse because you are. I, I've done thousands of shots of, Jesus, almost every, I've probably thrown up more liquors than most people have drank in their lives. I, yeah. I don't think that I really need to use that as an excuse to drink more. Well, and that's also the kind of thing when you take that step back. Yeah. Right, when you well, take that step back and say, oh, that's, people that's a fact. People the bartender to drink. Yeah, but that's that's a fact, though, when you say, hey, I've I've thrown up more liquors than other yeah. people have drank. That's, Quantifiably, I would bet. That, that's yeah. a fact. It is. that you, If you take that step back and you yeah. look at that <laughs> and you say, oh, that's... That's a ridiculous statement that I can make. Yeah, and it's and I think it's true. And I I don't um I mean I've never like you know uh, you know I mean it's never written it down and I've never asked anybody else how many you know. boozes they've drank. But I've I've definitely you know I've done enough. I guess is my point. So if I spent fifteen or twenty years binge drinking and uh, the rest of the time I was at work I wasn't necessarily binge drinking, but not holding back in any way. And I got very good at just drinking on the job and having it be a normal thing. But I didn't want it to be a normal thing. So I woke up six months ago on a Monday. Me and my, my wife and I woke up. And this was probably the 18th or 50th Monday in a row that we both woke up and went, why did we do that again? Why did we drink again? You know, or like we woke up on a Tuesday and they say every single Tuesday we go, Jesus, we didn't mean to drink. How did we end up getting drunk again? Look, here's another waste of a day. Uh, I want to be in control of that. I don't, I don't have the ability to go to work five days a week in a in a job that is not surrounded by alcohol, and then have Friday and Saturday be my my play day, you know I live in play day, and then my other two days that I don't live in play day, I try to do research on booze and attend conferences and industry events that are all surrounded by booze. So if my five days at work are surrounded by booze and my two days off are surrounded by booze, when do I get a purple nose and kidney failure or liver failure or whatever it is that happens when you drink too much? Probably sooner than 40, and I would like to live past 40 now that I'm married and I actually like being alive. Not well, that my marriage is what makes me like being alive, but I'm comfortable. I'm happy. Well, I think that's... I have goals and motivations, and I, I like what I'm doing, so I want to prolong it now. Well, isn't... But that's that's that kind of thing, too, when... Again, if you contrast those two statements, right? You just you just said... And I, I hadn't heard you say that a lot before, you know? It's like, <laughs> hey, I'm I'm happy. I'm trying to... I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying to do all this great stuff, 
for me, but it's not just for you anymore either. Right. There's which, another person's feelings and emotions and life involved, intertwined in mine. So it is a bigger deal. I had the extreme misfortune of uh, the, the brain injury thing was it was tough, right? Of course. But um, I had the extreme misfortune, and someone someone should have advised me against this, of having a philosophy major with an astronomy minor. <laughs> and I don't know if you know anything about either of those topics, or anybody does, but astronomy basically teaches you at the end of the day that there we don't know. We just we just don't know. Yeah. There's there is no outside of the universe because it is infinite. But how could something be in a place where there is no outside of it, and what's beyond it? But how could how could there even be anything outside of a universe? Right. Like that. There's just this infinite cycle of question that is not it's not answerable no, at the of moment. Not. And then philosophy teaches you to dig to the deepest possible depths of every question and continue to ask questions. So it was like it was two topics that just don't provide answers. And as a person who's inclined to kind of obsess over things, that it put it puts you in a dark place. So I, where, why did I start talking about this? I think we will. You were you're talking about your, you know, you were changing for reasons. Yeah, I guess I don't know. So if you didn't hear me say I had a, a large desire to to live and like produce and and be a positive force in in a relationship or you know do it for any long period of time, yeah. it's because I did have a burn it all down attitude for a while. I I always joked that I I knew the whole world was a joke, but I like to play the game anyway. Just like you know when you're when you're playing Call of Duty, you know you're not in a war, but it's fun and you take it seriously enough for the time that you're there. I kind of treated life as a video game. I didn't care how long it lasted really. I just wanted to smoke and drink and play piano for my whole life. And uh those things I think you I'm glad I'd lived long enough for my mind to change. Because the other side of this is way cooler than that side was. Although that side was fun and had a lot of moments that I will never be able to recreate because of the amount of drinking and smoking that they they required, (laughs) I never realized that there was value in life outside of those substances. So with cigarettes being gone, drinking is a lot less fun when you're not smoking. That's something I learned right when I quit smoking. See, I never never did that side of it. Having... Probably pretty bad ADD. It, smoking helps change yeah. it. So if, if I needed to dull my surroundings and then focus on something, the dulling was the alcohol and the focus was the cigarettes. It was a really great way to get a lot of shit done. And I'm having, uh, I had a lot of trouble getting back on the like focus and get things done train. But removing cigarettes was the first step. And alcohol. Six months ago, we woke up and we were just like, let's let's just stop. We'll stop drinking. There's an undetermined time here. We'll just not do it for a while and see how it feels. And it ended up being about four and a half months that we did that for. And I started drinking again because I just wanted to see what my relationship with alcohol had become. And we had a, a half a glass of wine each at the Owl House for, during dinner for like a celebration of our anniversary. And at the end of that, I was like, well, that didn't do anything. Yeah. So then the next day, we get through dinner and we're hanging out. It's a Tuesday. I'm like, babe... Why don't we go have a couple drinks? Because I don't feel like we really did it. So you see where this is going, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have a couple drinks that night. I think we had like we've shared a bottle of wine, you know. So we each had two glasses. And yeah. I, was, I remembered what it was like to lose motor function a little bit, you know, like your your tongue gets tied up and you mm-hmm. you're standing up from the chair. You're like, oh Jesus, am I drunk? It's, it's only two glasses of wine, but my liver works again. Whoa. Mm-hmm. So we go to um, Dave Arnold's new bar, Existing Conditions in New York, and I have four drinks there. And Which one? I'm very excited to go try. It's that cool, place man. Out. It's a different vibe, and they're they're figuring the menu out in a very different way than they did before. But it is a really cool spot, and everyone should go there if they were fans of Booker and Dax or just like science and cocktails and food. We go there, and I have four drinks, and I come back, and 
Now I'm like, okay, so how about I don't drink at work, but I drink after work. And if I am on a day off, I can have a drink with my wife. And that just turns back into me drinking at work again. I wasn't like getting wasted at work, but just having alcohol in my system while I'm working, just it, now that I've seen the other side of it, it doesn't feel right. And if I'm not drinking at work, I don't want to drink outside of work because I don't want work to be my least favorite place to be. I don't want work to be my constant hangover and for the rest of my life to be my constant party. I want the whole thing to be sensible. And I just don't think I'm the kind of person who can have a drink here and there. I know it's not that way with smoking. I, if I had a cigarette tonight, I'd be a one-pack-a-day smoker tomorrow. Yeah. So I think that's just it's an acknowledgement I have to make to, to the fact that my personality doesn't make room for occasional anything. I'm a really obsessive person, so if I do anything, I do it forever until I don't. And uh, I think alcohol is just that thing now. I think I just quit forever yesterday. So I was back on drinking for almost a month or a yeah. couple of weeks, and it's I don't know how to I don't know how to be in grayscale. I don't know how to live in grayscale. Well, that's okay though. Yeah, it's, it's as long as I acknowledge it. Yeah, and I don't think that it would destroy my life if I drank constantly again. No, it's, it's just not it's, something I need to do. It doesn't add enough value. It doesn't add as much as it subtracts. Well, I think that's that I think that's a great that's a great part of the that's a great part of that logic part of your brain, right? Yeah, is you weren't you're not the you're not the classic. It's not you can't you can get out of bed in the morning. You're doing your job. Oh yeah, you're a functioning member of society. I don't reach for booze first thing when I roll out of bed. But you know? that calculus part of it, you know that. It's that next level look at it and say, hey, what is this adding to my life anymore? It's given you a lot. Yeah. Coping I, requires more coping yeah. is what I've learned, actually. That, that If I had to sum it up to a bumper sticker link thing, I would say coping requires more coping. And I just made that up now. That's not something I've really had a chance to, to think through. But if you drink to reduce social anxiety, your social anxiety will be worse the next day. And you'll have to drink more to reduce it again. It ain't my thing. Yeah. If you just get rid of the social anxiety altogether or find a way to look at the world more clearly, uh, that's probably the best bet. And this is not, I'm not trying to tell people not to drink because I've built my life around drinking. I've built my life around other people drinking. Yeah, for sure. So I hope that everybody continues to drink, especially if it's good for their lives, which in a lot of ways it is. It's just not good for mine because I live around it and there's no barrier. You know, I'm, I'm always a foot away from all the bottles. And, uh, you know, if, if a little bit of drinking is okay at work, when is it not? At what point is someone drunk? At what point is someone unreasonable? Is it just immediately? Or is it eight shots in? Or should it even be, should there be a boundary? Or should it just be like, no, I don't know. I don't have a problem with bartenders drinking at work. I just have a problem with me drinking at work. That's it. That's a very reasonable statement. Yeah. But I think that's, one, I can say from... You know, somebody I consider a friend. One, I'm happy for you. Thanks, man. Just generally, because I think feels good. I sleep like hell. I'm like I sleep like a rock now. Isn't that great? <laughs> I forgot that you could. You know what? It's it's one of those things where we have all the opportunity in the world to enjoy anything we want to enjoy at any moment in time. Mm -hmm. We know people. We can show up anywhere. Yeah, and we can enjoy as much as we want. Modern society. If you can afford it, you can do it. We can do anything we want, and. The part that you know I struggle with just as much as anybody else is that balance. Yeah. Because I don't I don't want to give it up. And for me, it's hey, I'm I'm trying to do things purposefully. Yeah. And I can see then what you're doing. You're trying to do things purposefully and trying to, hey, this is the best decision for me. Right. I think it's the only way you can really 
go through life. And for me, it's that, it's that backbone of what you are. And you say, I'm, I'm trying to do things with purpose. I'm trying to consume purposefully. I'm trying to live with purpose. It's like going on an elimination diet. Where, you know, if your belly hurts, you, you, you eat like a sick dog, right? You eat boiled chicken and rice for, for a week, and then you <laughs> slowly reintroduce, you know, vegetables or, or wheat or gluten or whatever, and eventually you find what the problem is. Except in this case, my reductive diet had to do with the removal of alcohol to see what everything looked like from, like, through that lens. So someone says, hey, you want to go to my lake house for the 4th of July? And I go, yeah, sure. What, what are people going to be doing there? I don't know, eating and drinking. And I'm like, no, that's this. I just quit drinking. I don't want to go somewhere that is only fun because people are drinking. And it led me that one moment. I forgot who told me that it was like, it was a friend, you know, I would go hang out with this friend anywhere, but I think that doing it with a group of people on a holiday is probably, you know, that's mostly just drinking focused, yeah. right? And drinking is awesome. It sure. makes people feel good. makes people do dumb stuff. It's hilarious. And I love monitoring it, but doing it should not be the reason to do everything else. I, I would imagine that if you took most sports fans and you removed alcohol from a from a live sports event, it would be a lot less fun, except for the people who really, truly just like the game. But there's a percentage of people who are there just because it's a really good excuse to scream and drink. See, I think that's, I think that's where, for me, that's why I always had a problem. I always, I was never, I hated that part of it. Yeah. I always hated it, and it's part of how I grew up. Yep. But for me, that's the reason I didn't drink till I was 30 mm. was... I forgot about that. There's nothing I hate hated more, and I still really dislike it. Yeah. I've ne- I never enjoyed that part of it. I never enjoyed that, you know, the exuberance. I never enjoyed that over-the-top... It's overwhelming. ...everything. It's, yeah. It always was overwhelming But to it's me. not overwhelming if you're wasted. You know what? You know? I, for me, that n- it never... <laughs> even now... Still, it's too much. If I even if, if I'm going after it, which yeah. is few and far between, but if I'm going after it, I still dislike all that stuff. Yeah, I just dislike it more vocally in the moment. <laughs> yeah, because there's yeah, gotcha. you know anytime that stuff's going on, I shut down. I don't enjoy it. I find it I find it discomforting. Everything about it makes me that's makes me want to leave. Makes yeah. me anxious. Makes me not want to yeah. be there. Right. And I will now instead go instead of sitting home. there, I will go sit somewhere else. Uh huh. I will or in front of a TV. Yeah, it's a good way to I will, enjoy. I will take that break, and when people yeah. want to talk and have a conversation, I will go back and enjoy myself to the fullest. So that's why that I still have to go to bars on occasion. So I've had to go to those sports games essentially, you know, the, the equivalent, not actual sports games, but I've had to insert myself into drinking situations without being a person who drinks. And I, I don't have any problem telling people I don't drink. I just I feel weird going into a busy bar when I'm not super jazzed up and everyone else is really excited. So I have only found a few moments where I felt truly uncomfortable being a person who doesn't drink. Yeah. And one of those was in LA before, you know, there was a conference there. And I really wanted to go visit a bar that my friend told me to go visit and say hi to one of the bartenders, but I peeked my head in the door and the everybody in there was like yelling and screaming and laughing and I was like, "Ah, oh, jeez, I just I'm too reasonable right now, you know. I don't, <laughs> and I can't get intentionally unreasonable anymore. I, maybe I, I'll have to find a way to do that that's not substance related. Just a a way to flip my brain around into like drinking mode, but without the drinking. Yeah, because I, I I don't have anything against it. I could sit here with you and have two ounces of chartreuse 
but I'd want to go home and drink more. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't. It wouldn't destroy my day tomorrow. It wouldn't destroy my life. I just would sleep a little bit less good and I don't probably want another one tomorrow. Yeah. You know? It's just it it's something I'm just no longer interested in. I think I've probably just done enough of it. Well, I, I drank so much. Well, I think that's one of those <laughs> things if you listen to, you know, some of the the classic, you know, you know, I've heard a lot of people who went through, you know, the program and stuff back in the day. Yeah. And I think it was I forget the exact quote, but it's along those lines is when is when is enough? Dude, you know what? You've enjoyed more than you've enjoyed more than just about anybody it's I know. Just that quitting is easier than drinking. That that's great. It right back down to it. a to a bumper sticker again. Quitting drinking for me is so easy that it's easier than occasionally having a hangover. That's yeah. it. It wasn't even difficult. My wife had a harder time with it than I did. And she still drinks on occasion now. She's probably having a glass of wine right now, actually. And that's not going to bother me because I can go sit with her at Solero Wine Bar and stare at her while she drinks and just be involved in a conversation. And then if I find myself uncomfortable, I'll take an Uber home and she can, or nope, I'll drive home. She can take an Uber home yeah. after she gets kind of drunk. And right, that's cool, you, man. I, now you can drive home. Because she works in a salon and she can. she's never really inclined to drink at work. No. So it's not a thing that is so pervasive in every piece of her life that it has to be a binary switch like that. She yeah. can make the decision. So yeah, I don't think it's because I have necessarily have a problem. I guess I technically might be an alcoholic, but you know, probably there's probably a lot of people who are who still drink. So, but you know what? I don't know. You're making the right decision for you. Yeah, that's it. And that's all that matters. Just like quitting smoking. Why did I quit? I don't know. It's really bad for me, and I was doing it too much. And, and you probably feel better for it. Yeah, right. The benefits outweigh the you know the, the juice ain't worth the squeeze, as they say. Yeah. Well, so, let's let's talk let's yeah. talk bigger picture for a second about mm-hmm. this um, before we close out. So it seems like this you're not you're not the first bartender I've heard of that has stopped drinking. This is this is a this seems to be more of an industry thing going Dude, on right now. There's a moment. The least warranted though. You know, like if you look at the people I've talked to a lot of bartenders who have quit drinking, it was because they were gonna lose their kids or they were waking up on yeah. trains they don't remember being on after causing issues that they don't remember causing. And this this is not um I think largely in the industry, people are just starting to realize this is not funny to destroy your life constantly. Yeah. So uh, with the larger theme of that, yeah, this is this is true. I wouldn't say that my life was being destroyed by alcohol. I would just say it was a minor nuisance that I just didn't need to deal with. I don't need to do that. I can sip things and spit them back out in order to get the, the flavors right. And if I get a minor increase in blood alcohol content because of just contact through my through my mouth, that's fine. But just swallowing alcohol is something I don't need to do, not because I was, it was really ruining my life. I'm glad that it's becoming normal to be a bartender who doesn't drink. It really see, it seems like it, no there's... heckling me for it. You we're know? almost at that... It's at that moment right now. It seems we're at that inflection point where the industry is taking a look at itself mm-hmm. and saying, hey, they're making, there's a lot of people making this call right now. Whether it's a more serious situation or not, it seems like a fitting time for it to choosing happen. not to. You know, where everybody used to smoke in grocery stores, right? And then eventually you couldn't do that, so people quit smoking because it became inaccessible to do so. Um, you can't drive drunk anymore. Yeah, you get pulled over, and it, it can destroy your life for ten years or more. And uh, you can destroy someone else's life by doing it. Not not the least of which. Well, and it's really but, easy to do. Yeah, completely. And if you get pulled over, they're like, it's like you tried to kill someone, even if you didn't. It's there's no longer like the cop that follows you home. You know, yeah. It's like, oh, there's Johnny again. He's drinking. It's let's make sure he gets his car home. It's uh, you're in deep shit if you do that. So drinking's not funny anymore. Just like smoking's not funny. And I don't think drinking should be illegal. 
any more than I think alcohol or pot should be illegal or, you know, whatever drugs are illegal that kind of shouldn't be because they're not that harmful. Yeah. But uh, I think it should be done within reason and in moderation and not everyone needs to be constantly wasted. If you would like to be, it should be your decision as long as it doesn't affect other people in a really, truly negative way. Like running over children on your way home. Or I, I frown upon that personally. Yeah, totally. Hitting kids? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just generally speaking. Yeah. In, in pretty much any context that you want to talk about it. I mean, except for you know some of those, some of those little douchebag kids. I mean, yes. they deserve it. Now, if you're skateboarding <laughs> in the middle of a side street at 11 p.m. without a reflective vest on, I don't know, natural selection, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. But if the guy wasn't drunk and he didn't hit you because of that, that's way better. Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure I've done something dumb enough to get done, run over by a drunk driver before, and I'm glad I didn't. So I would like to extend the same courtesy to all children out there who are too stupid to stay out of the road. I don't want to hit you because I'm going to give you a chance to figure it out. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad we <laughs> ended this. I'm glad we're ending this. Oh, is it over? On a, it, it, on a was, really odd yeah. note. I was just joking with my dad that I never really got, I never got rid of the jitters on a keyboard during a show. Like I used to play shows with bands. Yeah. I never got rid of the jitters until like the second last song we were playing. So yeah. then by the time we were done, I'd be like, all right, where's the rest? <laughs> and that's how I feel right now. I feel like we're just getting going. That's great. That that, is that, good. You know what? That's Save it for next time. That's all I can ever ask for is that you're excited to come back the next time. Then I'm not ready, just ready to rip off the headphones and go, thank God. <laughs> God This is <damn>. over. <laughs> all right. So where, where can people find you, Mr. Donnie? Uh, people can find me at Cure Bar in Rochester, New York. It's located at 50 Public Market or 50, 50 Rochester Public Market. There's five zero Rochester Public Market. It is Java's during the day. It is Cure at night. Right next to the finest bakery in Rochester, right Flower City final. Bread. Damn, their bread is the best. So good. Coming from a guy who can't eat bread, I went back to eating bread just to eat their bread for a month. That's a great I choice. I quit eating bread, too, though. Oh, just man. quitting everything. What the hell's life worth living with no pizza and oh, no booze? You just know? quitting it all, man. I know. <sighs> so, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, thank you for coming over. Um, Donnie the Quitter Clutterbuck. <laughs> It's the third time that I didn't see that coming, man. <laughs> so thanks, today. thanks so much for coming over, buddy. And um, I'm always looking forward to talking to you again. You got it, man. Same here. All right. See you. Thanks again to Donnie Quaterbach for coming over for episode 119 of the Food About Town podcast. And also for providing our new intro music, the outro music you're hearing now, and also the undertones from our little break in between. So... Uh, this is it's a great it's great to have some you know music by one of my friends now uh, gracing the podcast every week. So I'll leave it to the dulcet tones of Donnie Clutterbuck. Thanks again, buddy. <laughs>